Good morning. It's good to see you all and welcome to all the visitors today. Um, and even if this is your second or 100th time, we're glad that you've decided to come and join us. And for those watching online, thank you for joining us online as well. I know several people message me saying that they um, um, are unwell or they're traveling um, or they have other things happening and so they're watching from home. And uh, we miss you definitely, but we know that you're with us um, in worship. So let me ask you a question. Oops, go back, 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 back. There we go. Are babies born good? Or are they selfish from the start? Or are they a blank slate? There's been a lot of debate and lots of philosophers and experts over the years have given their two cents about what they think. But uh, more recently, a team of researchers at Yale University's Infant Cognition Center, known as the Baby Lab, believe that babies are in fact born with an innate sense of justice. For the past 30 years, the team has been studying the development of infants and young children using puppets and actors and videos. So for example, they'll do this experiment where um, they have children as young as three months and they all have these puppets where one puppet will come out and it's, it's struggling to open a box. Then another puppet will come out and help open the box. Okay? But then another puppet comes and slams the, the, the lid shut. Okay? So the babies are watching this. And then um, after they watch it, um, another researcher who has not seen the puppet show and doesn't know which puppet was used for which brings out all the puppets uh, to the baby. Okay? And they look to see how the, which one the babies want. And they can tell this because obviously some babies can't talk yet because they're so little. Researchers have discovered that babies will look at the thing that they like or they'll look at the thing that they find most interesting. And so in this study, they find that the babies will look at the good puppet, the one who helped, right? Or if they're old enough, they'll reach out for the one the good puppet. And the research have discovered that more than 80% of the babies, and they've done this from different cultures and, and, and backgrounds, various babies, uh, lots of babies over the years, that 80% show their preference for the good puppet. And with the three-month-olds, the number goes even higher. 87% of the babies would look at the good puppet. Doesn't it make you want to do that, Michelle Andy, with Amy now, <laughs> with the puppets? Um, and so, you know, this and other research um, of various kinds have shown that even from a very young age, we are born with this innate sense of justice. Paul Bloom, who's one of the leading researchers, and he wrote a book called Just Babies, he wrote, humans are born with a hardwired morality. A sense of good and evil is bred in the bone. I know this claim might sound outlandish, but it's supported now by research in several laboratories. Babies and toddlers can judge the goodness and badness of others' actions. They want to reward the good and punish the bad. They act to help those in distress. They feel compassion, guilt, and righteous anger. But it wasn't all good news. <laughs> Through the research, they've also discovered that on the one hand, they have this strong sense of justice, but that they actually have this intrinsic bias towards others. That in other experiments, they, the babies always preferred their own kind. 
and that they liked vengeance. In the puppet scenario, the, the, the naughty puppet that slammed the lid shut, they would have like an act two and they would have something bad happen to that puppet and the babies liked that, right? right? They, they liked the puppet that punished the bad puppet. And so not, not, it's not all good news, but the, that, but the fact is that the babies have this innocence of justice as well as these other things that are already part of who we are. And so Paul Bloom goes on to say that it's the role of the parents and society, therefore, to nurture and guide the moral beliefs and practices of children so that they can be just. But what does it mean to be just? What is justice? This is a very difficult question to answer. Justice could be people getting what they deserve, right? Someone steals, they are punished. This is called retributive justice. But justice could also be about what people, get, people getting what they need. What if someone stole a loaf of bread because their children were starving? What would justice look like then? So this distributive justice is about everyone getting a fair allocation of resources. But then what is fair? There's merit-based justice where everyone gets based on merit. Hard workers get more, troublemakers get less. Or needs-based justice that's about everyone getting based on their needs. There's also social justice, which is concerned with the idea that everyone should have equal economic, political, and social opportunities, irrespective of race, gender, or religion. And there are different ideas of how to achieve this. So what is just? In this first image, it is assumed that everybody will benefit from the same supports. They're being treated equally. In the second image, individuals are given supports that are different. They're giving different, uh, I guess you could say, not equal amounts of support, but it gives them equal access. Right? That's equity. In the third image, all three can now see the game without support or any accommodation because the cause of the inequity has been addressed. The systematic barrier has been removed. There is also restorative justice which is about healing victims, restoring the offenders. So it's not just about punishing the offenders, but it's about restoring them back into the community, reconciling relationships. There's the libertarian view of justice, which is about maximizing individual freedom. Right? Lots of Americans have this sense of justice. Right? It's about individual freedom, maximize freedom. There's procedural justice, which is concerned with making and implementing fair processes, right? Making sure that, the, um, that you get a fair trial, making sure that, you know, you get a fair lawyer, et cetera. There's processes in place for justice. There are so many kinds of justice, and this is not all of them. What justice means to you may determine how you think society should work, how government should work, how people should treat each other, and your rule of ethics, so when it comes to observing or protesting Australia Day, honoring or boycotting Margaret Court, or whether big tech should pay for news links, all these disagreement, disagreements that happen between people, it's because we have different views of what is just. Our different views may come from different upbringings and cultures, education, experience, beliefs, source of information and news by the people we surround ourselves with. All this, plus our unique personalities, contribute to our view of justice. Today, I want to introduce to you what the Bible says about justice. 
According to Nathan Brown, who has written a book called Do Justice, the theme of justice is referred to in the Bible on average once every 15 verses. That's a lot. That's more than 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about justice. So while I cannot cover all of those today, I want to introduce to you three kind of central themes that run throughout those verses in the Bible. And the very first one is that biblical justice is based on God's character. Biblical justice is based on God's character. The Old Testament was written uh, primarily in Hebrew. The New Testament written primarily in Greek. And in the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words that are used um, for, that we translate as justice in our English Bibles. But these words are different. One is zedekah, and the other one is mishpat. All week, I've been going around the house saying mishpat um, to the kids. But zedekah and mishpat are, are often um, used together. And they talk about the character of God. So, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4, Moses says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. And the word there is mishpat, a faithful God who does no wrong, upright, zedek, and just is he. Here's another one. Psalm chapter 89, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. These words are very closely related but have differences and nuances in their meanings. And when you look at the various verses that talk about the righteousness or zedekah and, 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 the, and the judgment or justice or mishpat, um, here's kind of a compilation of some of the things it can mean. For Zedekiah, it can mean justice, but also it's often translated as righteousness. So whenever you see the word righteousness, it probably is the word Zedekiah. It can be generosity, honesty, integrity. It's about right relationships, treating people um, with integrity, honesty, generosity. That's Zedekiah. And then there's Mishpat, which can actually mean manner or way. And so the Mishpat of God is God's manners or God's way of justice. Sometimes it's about judgment and consequences, but a lot of times the word mishpat is used in the Old Testament. It's about promoting wholeness for all creation. So it's not just about the wrongdoer getting punished and the, you know, the good person getting rewarded, nor is it about, you know, it's not any of the other types of justices we've seen. This type of mishpat, this type of biblical justice is based on God's character of providing healing, life, restoration for all creation. So for example, in Psalm chapter 146, verses 6 to 9, it says, He, the Lord, is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. So God is just in that he's fair and righteous and does no wrong, but he's also just in that he's life-giving and healing, forgiving, liberating, restoring people to full dignity and health. That it's actually just to forgive. And it's actually just to seek out and help those in need. 
The second idea that the Bible presents about justice is that Jesus was the embodiment of God's mishpat, of God's way, of God's manners, of God's justice. Because even though human beings were created in the image of God, and I believe that's why, you know, Paul Bloom, you know, he attributes the fact that, that babies are born with an innate sense of justice to evolution. I would say that we are born with that innate sense of justice because we are created in the image of God. But then we also have that corrupted side of, of humanity that, that it tends towards self-centeredness and bias and, and um, vengeance because we also have all replaced God's principles, principles of justice with our own ideas of right and wrong. And we have, therefore, a sinful human nature as well. We have our own ideas of right and wrong that have distorted God's biblical justice into justice that's about social norms, or where vengeance is applauded, right? If you think about every blockbuster movie, right? You think about every single series, right? Where the heroes are applauded after they have completely destroyed <laughs> the bad guys, right? And you just think about how we love these stories, right? And, we, and, and it's not a bad thing to enjoy these stories, but I'm just trying to point out that our, our human idea of justice is not God's view of justice, a lot of times our view of justice is about self-preservation, right? about our rights. And a lot of, our, uh, a lot of times our justice is actually stack, slacktivism. Have you heard of slacktivism? Where you see a social media post about something related to justice and you like the post or maybe you do the care you know, emoticon or you give it a thumbs up and we've done our part, but really we've done nothing, Right? And so they call this slacktivism because it's not activism. It's actually lazy. Um, we think we've done something to contribute to justice in the world, but we, we actually haven't. Unless you've signed the petition, unless you've done something to change, you liking something on social media hasn't really done much is why, where that term comes from. Everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes, leading to further injustice and brokenness, and divisiveness in relationships and communities, right? More and more, we're just split apart, right? Into, well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. You're wrong, right? I'm right. And, and further brokenness. And so to restore the image of God and to restore us to God and to each other, this is the crazy thing that the Bible says, that God, who created us in him, his image, comes in man's image. Just think about that for a second. God who created us in his image in order to repair and restore us to himself, right? In order to restore us to each other, in order to restore that image of God, comes in the image of man. And God becomes a human being, a baby. A baby. Jesus is born as a human baby into this unjust world. But instead of contributing to the injustice, instead of contributing to the brokenness, he makes people and things whole. He in the flesh showed the world what God's justice looks like, what God's mishpat looked like. So not only did he not do any wrong, not only did Jesus not sin, but he actively sought out to do justice, seeking and saving the lost, healing the sick, the blind, the lame, feeding the hungry, offering love and friendship to the lonely, providing community to the outcasts. And he didn't do this from a condescending place where he's up here and we're down here. He stooped down, literally, took the place of a servant, took a towel and washed the feet of his disciples. 
That's God's mishpat. That is God's justice. Remember Psalm 146 that described the justice of God, the mishpat and the zedekah of God. We see echoes of that psalm here in, in Luke where Jesus is, is starting his ministry and his mission and he stands up in the synagogue and he reads Isaiah. Well, he sits down to read, but he reads Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the ear of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus' ministry, and this is what he claimed. He said, I am doing this. This is why I have come. Not to prove I'm right, not to defend myself, but to lay down my life. Not to condemn, but to forgive. And Jesus taught God's mishpat. He said, you know, Matthew 5 to 7 is the great constitution of God's kingdom. You can call that God's mishpat, right? His way of justice. And let me just share one snippet of it for you that I think is so relevant today. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This, we call this the golden rule. This is so different from any type of justice you can find on earth. Right? The, the, the justice that God is, is asking uh, us to participate in is a justice that is not about self-preservation, is not about defending our rights, but it's about treating others the way that we would like to be treated which is not a simple thing because it's not always easy to know how would I like to be treated in this situation. It takes complexity, it takes prayer, it takes wrestling. And God says not only that we should treat others the way we want to be treated, but he even calls us to something more challenging. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect." In other words, he's saying, be and do mishpat with me, right? Follow the way of God. Follow the way of God that is so anti-cultural, right? Where we bless those who curse us. Where we love those who are against us. Where we extend an arm of fellowship to those who disagree with us. Because that's who God is. He sends blessings on the just and the unjust. Because he wants redemption. When the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers crucified Jesus on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he died for their and our sins. He died for our selfishness and all the times we have acted unjustly and unrighteously. He paid the price in our place so that we can be treated as if we were righteous, as if we were just. We don't deserve it, 
But grace is how mishpat works. Grace is how God's justice works. Because when we realize that we have received this undeserved uh, change of 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 uh, status, right? We were unjust, but God has made us just by paying the price for us and declaring us just. When we are recipients of that undeserved grace, it changes us. It redeems us. It makes us into a new creation, and that's what God is trying to do. And that's what he calls us to participate in. And that's the third central theme about justice found throughout the Bible. It's the idea that God calls us to do justice, empowered by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we are then responding, right? Not out of obligation, not out of grudging, like, oh, this is, you know, what I have to do, but but out of gratitude, right? Out of love, out of that overflow of grace that he gives to us, we respond. And there's so many verses in the Bible that talk about this call, but here's just a few of them. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. I love how he says this is true justice. Mercy and compassion. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Because even though he wants us to forgive our enemies, he's not saying, okay, therefore do nothing. He's not saying, all right, there's abuse and injustice, just you know, bless them and walk away. No, he's saying, forgive them so that you are not harboring bitterness in your hearts, right? Forgive them. But then you can do something to, to change the status of the injustice. You can speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Right? You, can, you can bring about and restore the walls. You can, you can do things to change uh, the community, change relationships. But you're not doing it from a p- place of bitterness and anger, but you're doing it from a place of a desire to bring God's mishpat, God's restoration, God's redemption for not just yourself but for all. And this one is my favorite, Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I think that humility is so important when it comes to justice and mercy. Because we might be wrong. And that's something that I think sometimes we forget as human beings. We're so bent on this is right, and I'm right, right? That we, we, we close our ears to what people have to say, and we, you know, we don't want to even see what, what people want to show us, right? God says, walk humbly with your God. Be willing to, to say, I might be wrong. There might be another angle that I've missed. There might be another side I haven't heard. God's justice is about becoming one with those we serve about advocacy and action and redemption. It's a justice that will be completed when Jesus comes again and makes a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, we can participate 
in that justice that's not just theoretical and ideological, but practical and challenging. It is challenging because it requires a daily commitment to three things. This kind of biblical mishpat, it's a daily commitment to three things. The first, oops, the first is learning to see how God sees. Learning to see how God sees, how he thinks, how he feels. And in order for us to know that, we have to spend time in the Bible meditating, looking at the examples and the stories, wrestling with the text, because I tell you now, the Bible is not simple. It's, 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 anyone can read it, but there's so much depth to it, right? You have to wrestle with the text. Why did this happen? What is God trying to say, right? People can spend a lifetime and never be able to say that they know it all because there's always more that God wants to teach us and show us. To see with new eyes through humility, letting go of our preconceived ideas and saying, God, you teach me. Teach me what you want us to learn. The second thing that we have to commit to doing daily is praying for our enemies. This is a hard thing to do, right? Praying for those that we disagree with. Praying for those that we don't like. Praying for those who have hurt us. Praying for those who have opposite agendas. Praying for them not, that, not only that we can forgive them, but actually praying for God to bless him. I don't know if you've ever done that. I remember one time there was someone who hurt me. And um, actually they hurt my sister, which is even worse. You know, that I, I, forgiving someone who hurt me, I find easier than forgiving someone who hurt lo- my loved ones. And there was someone who hurt my sister and I was so upset. But I was like, I'm going to pray that, you know, for forgiveness. And, but then it got, I got to the part where I have to bless them and ask God to bless them. And that's when I realized I couldn't forgive them. <laughs> because when you have to say, God, answer their prayers. Bless their efforts. And, and at that time, the person, um, the person was looking for a new job. Give them the job that they want. Like, oh, I don't want them to have that job, right? They, should, they shouldn't get everything that they want, right? They, they're not a, they're, he's not a good person. But... but that's when I realized what the st- true condition of my heart. And that's when I have to pray again, God, help me to forgive. And, 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 and the first time I said the words, help them to get the job, you know, you kind of just say it. But then the more I prayed for that person, the more God changed my heart. So I genuinely wanted them to, to get what they wanted. But also I, w- I wanted them to, to um, have it not, not just because they deserve it. They definitely didn't. But to have it to feel, <laughs> to have it to for them to understand that grace and through the experience of, of life and, and that one day they'll, they'll realize what they had done, right? And, and that's, it's, it's such a weird concept for us, but that's how God works. You know, in Romans it says that he loved us while we were still sinners. He loved us while we were still rebellious. He loved us while we were still unjust. And by loving us and giving us grace first, he's hoping, it's not 100% guaranteed because not everybody responds, but he's hoping that through that grace, some of us would respond in gratitude, that some of us would, would change and be transformed. And so God says, bless your enemies, pray for them. But not just them, pray for people in our communities with diverse needs, people in pain, people who are lonely, people who are struggling, people in need of wisdom and peace. There are so many people who need our prayers. And finally, do something for someone to help restore their wholeness as a new creation. Right? It doesn't have to be this big thing. It could be a phone call. It could be a message. It could be a card. It could be uh, sending them Uber f- Eats food, you know, if they have had a rough day. Send them, send them some cake. I don't know. S- doing something for someone. Right? 
so that we can participate in God's mishpat. As we close today, I want to I take a moment. I would like you to read silently a passage in Isaiah 58. And I've got it on this. Um, if you, if you, you can look it up on your phone or if you need a Bible, let us know. We've got Bibles for you as well. But I would like you to re- look up Isaiah 58. And if you could take a few minutes to read this silently and ask God prayerfully, God, what is your message for me right now? And if you could take some time for silent prayer and ask God for forgiveness for contributing to the injustice in the world and pray for courage and conviction to be instruments of God's peace. Just take a moment now. Heavenly Father, help us to believe that your justice is the best way. And that, Father God, there, there will come a day when you will make all things right and you will judge as the righteous judge. Until then, help us to have humility to not judge others, but to treat them the way we want to be treated and to extend compassion and to lift up those who need, um, who need help, not, not just because they need it, Father, but because we have been participants of a society that for too long has oppressed people. Help us to now be instruments of your peace to help restore people to a new creation and to give people back their dignity. And Father, I pray that as we every day commit to to seeing things the way that you see things, to love people the way that you do, help us, Father God, to through your spirit become transformed in our own hearts, to, to embrace your grace in our own lives so that we can overflow it onto others. And I pray, Father God, that as justice is a complex topic and it's not something that we can answer easily, but Father, help us to wrestle with it. Help us to not be indifferent to the needs of others or even to the perhaps the blindness we have had inside our hearts, but to really be open to you teaching us and changing us and prompting us to action. And I pray that as a result, our community and Melbourne City can be transformed and that Father God, we would be a light and a blessing to the nations. We pray in your son's name. Amen.